0: The rest of you, I'd love for you to take your Bibles out and turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Matthew, chapter 28, using one of our Pew Bibles, you'll find our text on page 844. So you can either flip your pages or swipe your finger to get yourself to the right text this morning. We're going to complete our trilogy of GC Square as we've been looking at the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. You know, in in the church, whether you're the pastor or whether you're just someone who's involved in the life of the church, along the way you meet people who become very special to you, but people who are very different from you. You know, I think you've heard me say before that in the church you, you make a lot of friends that you wouldn't have even liked in high school. You know, it's the kind of thing where we just have this bond that's between us. I had one of those experiences in my very first pastorate, church plant. But within the first six months of trying to get this new church launched down on the South Shore, we had an older couple. Older, I'd say, because they were just a little bit older than my parents. They had children who were older than I was, and they chose to get involved with our church. Their names were David and Barbara Kelly. And David was a became a close friend, a very special friend, one whose opinion I valued greatly, and one whose devotion to the Lord I appreciated greatly. But David was a little bit of a, you know, he's different than me. You know, he was a dyed-in-the-wool kind of New Englander, an introvert, quiet, you know, those kinds of things. And um, so very different than me, you know, who really doesn't have an unspoken thought and just kind of throws it all out there all the time. And, you know, and And I have, but one of the things I appreciated about David was David got it. Somehow or another he understood at the heart and soul of what it means to walk with Christ. At the heart and soul of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ lies the Great Commission. In fact, he found it devastating when in one of our discussions, you know, I was I pointed out to him that the final verses of the Gospel of Ma- Mark are in parentheses. It starts in the ninth verse, it's in parentheses in there. And that's because many scholars believe that those final verses were not a part of the original. And he found it devastating because he thought it was so important that every single gospel gospel have its own version of the Great Commission. We have one here Matthew. I'm going to read for you in just a moment. Then they're there in Mark, very much the same. John's is the simplest. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Luke used languages very similar to what we see in Matthew, just kind of rearranged. And clearly Jesus talked about the challenge of the Great Commission with the church more than just once. I also remember David often just kind of getting annoyed with me. <laughs> you know, Christina has that experience quite a bit as well. And... um But, you know, and a lot of it is as we were... He became a leader in the church, and we were talking about how to reach people and etc. And, and often I, I'd be talking about ways to, in, in my spirit, in my heart, I was talking about ways to bring down barriers to the gospel. I remember one time I, I was leading the deacons in a discussion of when was the right time on a Sunday morning, the best time on a Sunday morning to hold services. Was it 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10 or 11? Or when would mo- the most people come, if you will? And David got a little aggravated with that because somehow or another he understood that is trying to somehow or another make the gospel convenient to people. And it really calls for great commitment. Let's take a moment in our service this morning and look at this Great Commission. Let me just read verses 16 through 20 for you from Matthew's gospel. Very last moments on the planet is the way Matthew sees it. It says, 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. In all likelihood, not the 11, that's probably. The other band that was traveling with them, some of them had not seen the risen Lord yet, and they were wondering what they were seeing. So they were they were doubted in the sense that they were unsure. And then it says then Jesus came near, and he said to them, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go." therefore make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember remember I am with you always to the end of the age when you and I read a passage like that whether it be here or we listen to John tell us that Jesus said as a father sent me so send I you or Luke's version of this in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where he says you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the most parts of the earth we when we hear that that one of our natural reactions is to be intimidated is it not i mean there's lots of things we love about walking faithfully with christ but one of the things that generally intimidates the vast majority of us is the idea of giving our faith away to other people it's scary it's intimidating and to tell you the truth when you read this passage it is intimidating (laughs) you know it's intimidating first of all in its nature what Christ asked the church to do in His place on the planet is to go out as a part of their everyday lives. And lead people to become followers after Jesus Christ. Totally alter their values, their priorities, their beliefs, their commitments, the direction, their expectations to change everything as a result of following after Christ. And it starts with some kind of an initiation, some kind of a choice or a conversion to step into the kingdom. That's what baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit refers to here. It's the beginning of the journey of discipleship. When a person acknowledges their need for God, knows that they need God's forgiveness, experiences it through their faith in Jesus Christ, and steps into the kingdom. That begins the journey. And the symbol or the confession of that for us is the baptism that takes place. Then you have the harder part. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Maybe the most, the hardest part about all that is that we have to be a role model of that, do we not? It's hard to kind of talk about, to say, well, this is the way you should live, so just, just look at the pages, but don't look at me. I mean, we have to blend this stuff together, don't we? You know, it never works very well when you say to your kids, don't, don't do as I do, just do as I say. It doesn't work too well. Well, Neither does it in the process of discipling. So this challenge, the very nature of it, is that you and I are supposed to go out and somehow or another be used of God to bring people to a point where they acknowledge their lostness, the fact that they're without Christ, that they're sinful, for them to take a step into the kingdom and somehow or another we are partners with them in the journey of them coming to a full-fledged experience of following after Christ. That's pretty intimidating. Not only intimidating in its nature, but it's also intimidating in its scope. Jesus said you're supposed to do this with all nations. Actually, missiologists now, as they've studied this word a little bit more deeply, really see this much more as all peoples. Because inside a nation, you can have lots of people groups. And so what Jesus is saying is that it is the mission of the church to go out to every single people group all the sub-tribes and dialects and customs and et cetera, every single place on the planet, and somehow or another, see them come to no cry. Now, that's intimidating in its scope. Now, one of the things that I see for ourselves, you know, is that, you know, it, this this is something that God does. Sitting on the third row back here, the Sutton family, their son, Steve, is in Cambodia, right? I got it right, Cambodia. You know, he answered the call. He's off in the far-flung ends of the earth that Luke talks about in Acts one eight. I got a sister, Marcia, next youngest sibling, international missionary. She served in, in the learned Spanish in Costa Rica, served for a decade in the Dominican Republic. Now she's in Vancouver training other missionaries how to live in urban centers all around the world in what they call their Urban Life Training Center. People literally get up and go to the ends of the earth as a part of fulfilling this commitment. But the scope for us might be challenging enough in that God asks us to cross boundaries, literally with the people who are right around us. Those neighbors a few doors down, who don't speak any English, or come from a very different background people that we have a hard time making a connection with. God says, "Eh, you know, that's a great boundary to step through. God asks us to, in the scope of this, to break across boundaries and to reach out to people who are different from us. And that's intimidating. So the Great Commission is intimidating in its nature. It's intimidating in its scope. It's also intimidating somewhat in its outcome. And what I mean by that is that We understand from Romans chapter 10 that the only way for a person to experience faith of Christ is to hear the gospel. And the only way they're going to hear the gospel is if somebody goes to them. And the way they're going to go to them is whether they're sent. And so we understand that if we don't receive the commission to go, we're never sent Therefore, the gospels never preached. They never hear it. They never experience new life in Christ. And the outcome eternally is devastating. And that's intimidating. That literally the people down the street from us could spend eternity in a place totally separated from God where there's not even an ounce of goodness, not one molecule of what we would consider to be good, all because we didn't get up and go. And that's, that outcome is intimidating, is it not? But it's also intimidating because it gets personal. It gets personal. You know, Jesus said, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Well, what's he commanding them? He's commanding them to go and to make disciples. And so they're supposed to pass that on to us. So, generationally, this command never goes away. This wasn't just for the 11. It wasn't just for the 120 in the upper room at the beginning of the book of Acts. It's not just for the 500 that saw him on the planet. It's for everyone who embraces the cross as the means of their salvation. And it gets personal. God expects me to go. God expects me to share and we find that the vast majority of evangelical christians those who believe that faith is an actual conversion experience that's required into in order to experience salvation and eternity that the vast vast majority 90 percent or more will never ever share their faith with other people and a lot of that i think is all this intimidation kind of boils itself back down we we back away from it because we're either think where it's going to be embarrassing or or we're going to be embarrassed. It's embarrassing because we may share our faith with somebody else and they may think that we're kind of cuckoo. You know, I, I went off to college, you know, and within the first few weeks, I was sharing with this guy who was down the hall from me. He was actually our RA our, our for our building uh, on that floor, and he was a religion major, you know, and I was talking to him about faith things. And he said to me, he said, man, it's scary that somebody like you could be in an institution of higher learning like this. And he didn't mean it because, he meant it because of my faith, not because I'm a scary person, which I can be but you know uh, he meant it because i had this faith in christ he said i i didn't know people still believe that kind of way today and sometimes that rejection that comes from that we we get embarrassed it's embarrassing for us i was talking to a fellow pastor just here recently you know and um had a family been coming to their church for more than a year, been involved in a couple of discipleship studies that they had done and etc. And somehow or another they found out that their denomination, which is a smaller denomination, is, it has an association with the National Association of Evangelical Churches. And because they don't like some of their positions, they just, they just left the church because somehow or another they'd be, it'd be embarrassing to be associated with a sense of conviction that the church... I mean, some of us just find it embarrassing. Others of us, we're afraid we're going to be embarrassed. We're going to start sharing our faith with somebody and they're going to be interested and they're going to ask us a question we're not going to have the answer. And we think we're going to be embarrassed. So the way to avoid that is, let's just stop. Let's just not do it. So I, I want to give you some counterbalances today about why you should take on this intimidating task. I'm going to do this quickly. Just going to kind of pick them off one by one real quick, okay? And they're all P's, the 4 P's, okay? Of overcoming this intimidation. And I want first of all is the the, the first P stands for position. I want you to think about the position of the one who's sending us. Jesus says all authority has been given to him. Not just some authority, not just most authority. He says all authority has been given to him. And it's not just limited to heaven, but it's also on the planet, right? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So the one who's absolutely in charge, I'm saying to you, go. What what a, The position that we have is incredible. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that I like to do As I like to read history books, not, you know, but more about individuals, like historical biographies. And one of the things I'm amazed at when you read these, these old books of people who served as monarchs in, you know, the 1700s or the 1800s or whatever, they could be, there could be two countries who are at war right? You know, Russia could be fighting, you know, Sweden or whatever, you know, or France is fighting England. And somehow or another, there are still officials from the opposing country who are running around the courts of the enemy, trying with intrigue and building relationships, all because they were there as representatives of the king of this other nation. We have been sent out with this position. Our position is in Christ. And it's the one who has all authority who's sending us out. Not only that, the scripture says he gives us power to do this. He's told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the word for power there is the word from which we get dynamite. It's not, not just not just an energizer bunny kind of battery pack. He's given us everything that we possibly need to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. We have all the power. In fact, so much so, when that Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, y- you guys are amazed by the stuff that I'm doing? He says, wait till I leave. He says, greater things are you going to do? Because I'm giving you the power through the person of the Holy Spirit. We have the position. We're, we're connected to the right one. We have the power to do it. We just need to move forward. We also we also have the presence. You notice what he says here. He says, and don't remember, don't ever forget, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, that can be a scary thought on one side, that every time you mess up in your spiritual life, Jesus is right there looking. Really? You're going to do that? I'm you know and that can be a little intimidating but when you go into these kind of journeys to share your faith jesus is with you. He's with you one of the stories I love to tell is you know Um, there's a missionary who was serving out in one of the rural parts of the world in africa It's serving out in a village where there was access to, to nothing. So once a week this this, um missionary would travel by foot on an overnight journey into kind of one of the capital areas around them to pick up medication and other kinds of supplies that they needed and take it back to the village. And one time as he entered into the capital through this journey traveling by on foot, he, he experienced, he, um, he came across a couple guys who were in a fight and he, he broke up the fight acting as a peacemaker. But he, and as a part of that, he actually came to the attention of both of these guys. And they said, who is this guy? What does he do? And so these guys realized that as he travels back and forth, he's carrying quite a bit of money with him, especially for their culture. and 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 when he travels back, he's carrying a great deal of medicine and other kinds of things that are really valuable. So they decide that they're going to bushwhack this guy the next time they see him come into the city. So they keep their eyes open, and this missionary travels into the city he purchases everything that he needs and he leaves. And they're for him to make camp in the, you know, where he has to spend the night on the trail. He's by himself and they're ready to attack. They've got a couple of other guys with them and they're ready to attack. When they get there, they're amazed. Now, on the other side of the globe, they're sending church. There's a guy just literally on a, on a weekend driving down the road, and he just feels this incredible burden to pray for this missionary. So, he, 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 and, he's, and he's so impressed by it, and the, the need's so great, he starts calling around to a bunch of other people who said, let's just all meet down at the church building. We really need to pray for this guy. And somehow or another, he manages in just that quick moment to get 26 guys down to the church building to pray. And so they meet there, and they begin to pray, and they'll flip it back over. These guys arrive at the campsite, and they hear this later, the story, the missionary, here's the story from one of those who was prepared to attack because he comes to know Christ. He said, when we got to the edge of your camp that night, and we were spying out how it is that we could attack you. So we were amazed that there were 27 of you in the site. The missionary and the 26 angelic prayer warriors, if you will, who are standing alongside him. We're always in the presence of God. We always are experiencing his protection. He's with you always even to the end of the age you know and and we should be encouraged not just by our position not just by the power not just by the presence but also just by the product That it is that God asks us to share. Jesus isn't asking you and I to do anything that He hasn't already done in us. He's just asking us to reproduce in others what He's already produced in us. It can be intimidating, it's to think of all kinds of answers we may not have think we have, but at the end of the day, all Jesus is asking you to do is to be an eyewitness what you've already experienced. The heart and soul. Of all we're about as a church and as Christians is the Great Commission. Now, I want to try to tie this all together. You know, we've been kind of looking at this series of the two Great Commandments and the Great Commission as, as really kind of being the bedrock. To make sure that all of our religious activity that we're doing, all of our church attendance and life groups and Bible reading, etc., that all of it emerges in the right place, because we don't want to be climbing the ladder, they wouldn't let me keep it on the stage for three weeks, you know. You know, we don't want to be climbing to the ladder and all of a sudden get to the top of and discover we were leaning against the wrong wall, right? How does this all come together when you take? The first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you put it together with the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. What you get is the great commission. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you you love what God loves. And you want what God wants. And what God loves is his creation. And in particular, the pinnacle of his creation, people. And what God wants is for none of them to perish. That's that's his passion. That's why he sent his son into the world. He doesn't want anyone to experience eternal separation from him. When we love God, we love what he loves. We want what he wants, and we do what he asks. Now, when we love our neighbors, part of what that means for us is that we understand that if they don't have a personal faith in Christ, their eternal future is in jeopardy. And and we can do all the nicety things. We can, you know, pick them up groceries when they're not feeling too well, and we can help cut their grass, and, you know, we can keep an eye on their house and watch their dog when they're away. We can do all the things that make us wonderful neighbors, but somehow or another, if it doesn't translate into, I need to pray for an opportunity to share my faith with them, our love for them is incomplete. And the very nature of loving our neighbors as ourselves means that our love for them is not to be incomplete. So when you put those two things together, you get. Get the great commission it's going out in the name of god out of our love for our fellow man and wanting to see them come and be disciples of jesus christ and so those three things just go together they're inseparable love of god love of neighbor equals the great commission faithfulness or following the great commission we've tried to embed these things into what we're doing as a church and the challenge for us is what we've called this add one emphasis there's probably a, a thousand ways to define it but for us we, we we think it is most practical for us to describe and challenge us as God's people to add to our faith three things: the things that are going to lead us to love God more fully, serve and love our people, uh, our fellow man more completely, and to lead other people to Jesus Christ. We just call those attend one serve one, reach one. Part of that is we, we, you need to attend a worship experience in some kind of a small group Bible study, one of our life groups or something maybe you do at work or in your neighborhood. But you need to be in a small group Bible study in a place where you are being challenged to fall more in love with God as a result of learning more about who He is through His Word you need to attend one. You need to love your neighbor as yourself by serving them. Get involved in a ministry. could be anywhere from helping to clean the church building to leading a life group. From working in the preschool to serving meals at the Lighthouse Mission. From being a part of our, our counting team that counts the offerings every week to serving in some kind of a community group where you can be a voice for Christ. But you need to serve somewhere as a reflection of your love of neighbor. And you need to have people who are constantly on your heart that you're praying for an opportunity to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. At least one as we experience the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It is at the heart and soul of all that our lives are supposed to be about. As intimidating as it can be, God has equipped us with everything we need to meet the challenge. Will we meet the challenge? Let's pray together. You know, Father, as you know all week, I wrestle with how do, how do you present this message in a, such a way? that people walk out of here uplifted rather than burden. God, I'm not sure you ever gave me the answer. Because love sometimes is a burden. Love of you, love of others, love of ourselves. God, we pray that we would have a great enough love to embrace your invitation to share that love with others around our world, around your world. For this we pray in Jesus' name.